0: Chapter number one. Second Peter chapter number one. Pardon me, I'm getting a little warm up here In Second Peter chapter number one, begin reading in verse number one. Simon Peter, I love this about a lot of the authors of Scripture, a lot of the apostles. When they referred to themselves, they made this statement, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I, I I think one of the great things that we are missing in the day that we live are Christians that are willing to say, Lord, I don't need a position, I just want to be a servant. I just want to I wanna do something for you. I wanna give my life to you. And my dad years ago, I remember he I was raised in a pastor's home, I heard him preach a number of times and I heard him many, many times from the pulpit make the statement that God doesn't need more preachers or missionaries or, uh, Sunday school teachers or choir members or, uh, God doesn't need more of them. He just needs more servants. And if he had more servants, he'd have all the preachers he needed. He'd have all the missionaries he needed. He'd have all the, all the Sunday school teachers and those that would do his work and labor for him. If we just get to the mindset of saying, Lord, I just want to be a servant. Peter, uh, one, of the, one of the close ones that were uh, so close to the Lord Jesus Christ, impetuous Peter, at the end of his life, all the impetuousness, all the boldness of him, gets to the end of his life and he says, I'm just a servant. Peter, the pastor of the church there in Jerusalem, many, many people that came to Christ, over 7,000 in that church. Pastor said, I'm just a servant. Oh, that we could get that mindset. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power... Through lust. Father, we pray that you would bless the message this morning and may you use it to uh, not only convict our hearts, but also to instruct us, to teach us. And Father, that your Holy Spirit would draw us to a place of living a consecrated and a sanctified life for you. Father, that we would understand that not only did our salvation give us forgiveness of sin but it allows us to become a partaker of Your divine nature. And so, Father, help us to understand this passage clearly and to be able to apply it into our hearts and into our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. In verse number 2, Peter addresses who he's writing to here. And I think this is very important because some of the things... That I've heard over the years in ministry are people that don't have a whole lot of things to do, a whole lot to do with the Lord, and yet they claim a lot of the promises of Scripture, uh, things that are not intended for those that are lost, but are intended only for those that are children of God. And Paul, uh, Peter deals with this in chapter one, verse number two, as he says, "Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and, our, uh, and of Jesus Christ." according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, notice this, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. In verse number 1, He refers to those of us being referred to here as those that have like precious faith. Those of us that have the knowledge of God. Those of us that have the... Uh, uh, the uh, uh, Peace that is multiplied unto us, and so as we look in verses, the first few verses of this particular letter, Peter is saying the things I'm getting ready to tell you about are not for everybody, but they are those that have trusted Christ as their Savior, those that have like precious faith, those that have this knowledge of God, those that have uh, this this divine thing that's taking place on the inside of them, and he goes on to say this as we get down to verse number three. He says, according as His divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto life, and that's where we like to always stop, but He also makes this statement, and godliness. What does the word godliness mean? Well, it means to be godlike and to be acting like Him the way that He would, the mannerisms that He would, to strive to be like God in every aspect of His attribute and His holiness there ought to be a desire in the hearts of those that have tried to that have that have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to try to emulate the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is the one who said that he's left us an example that we should walk in his steps. Very important that we understand that God did not just save us just to give us life and to help us to escape the wrath to come. But God also saved us so that we could live godly In Christ Jesus. He goes on to say this in verse number 3, that through the knowledge of Him that hath called us, and notice what we are called to. We are called to glory and to virtue. These are two big things that, that Peter says that as Christians ought to characterize our lives. There ought to be glory in our lives. What glory are we talking about? Well, we obviously know from Scripture that we are not to glory in ourselves, are we? Paul said, if I'm going to glory, I'm only going to glory in one thing, and that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact that we are to live and we are called to this thing of glory, well, what glory are we talking about here? We're talking about glorifying God, lifting Him up, making sure that when people look at us, they don't see us, they see Christ. They don't look at a life and say, boy, there's a there's a good person. Boy, they are so kind and so gentle and they're they're so uh, wonderful people just to be around. They ought to look at us and say, boy, what a wonderful change God has made in that person's life. Boy, what, a, what an amazing God to take an old, rotten, dirty sinner and make that kind of a person out of them. You say, how does that happen? We live godly. We strive to be like Christ. Why? Because we want to fulfill our calling our calling to bring glory to him notice he also says this not only are we called to glory but we are called to virtue we're called to virtue virtue is not a word we use a whole lot anymore and I think a lot of us have kind of a general sense of what it what it refers to I looked up the definition just so I could give you a little better idea from the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, which is a a great dictionary to use in conjunction with the King James Bible because it was written uh, shortly after the time that this Bible was given to us and when the English language was at its height. And it says this, that virtue is a sense of moral goodness and abstaining from vice by compulsion or because of regard to reputation. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul said, "...the love of Christ constraineth me." There's a compulsion that Christians ought to have, and that ought to be the fact that we love the Lord Jesus Christ because He loved us. And we want to be pleasing to Him, not because we have to, but because we get to. This love that He has for us, the love that we have for Him, ought to be a motivating factor in our godliness and our trying to live godly. By the way, I think it's in a direct relationship to how much our love for Him is, too. You find somebody that's not interested in living a godly life or a holy life or a life that is pleasing to God, you'll find a person that they may claim outwardly that they love Him, but inwardly the heart is not following hard after Him. Jesus made it quite plain that if you'll love Me, you'll keep My commandments. What was He saying? He wasn't saying that we are compelled to out of obedience and obligation. He was saying there's a compulsion there that's driven by love. And I believe the two are very carefully linked together. That when our life lacks godliness, when it lacks holiness, when it lacks uprightness, when it lacks, let's use the Bible word here, shall we, when it lacks virtue, is because there's a lack of love for God. We're not as close to Him as we should. And it also says that not only is it because of compulsion, but also because of a regard to our reputation. Am I really worried about what people think about Greg Boer? No, I really am not. But I am very worried about what people see in Greg Boer that help them to think of, of things about the Lord. How I live reflects the God that I serve. How I live is, is in a large part a, a, a deciding factor in how people see the God that I serve. This virtue that we're called to. Uh, somebody wrote this that virtue the, the biblical use of virtue in this passage is the practice of moral duties with the sincere love to God and his laws a practice of moral duties with a sincere love to God and his laws not enough to just love God but to love everything about him if god if god is is somebody that i just love but then i don't love his laws then i really don't love god the way i should do i We were talking this morning about Israel and how they're God's chosen people. I love Israel not because of how great Israel is, but because they're God's chosen people. They're the ones He's chosen to love. And because I love Him, I love them. I love the Bible not because it tells me all these good things about myself. On the contrary, it tells me things I don't like to hear about myself. But I love this book. I cherish this book, not because of what it tells me about me, but because of what it tells me about Him. Because I love Him. And if they are His laws, if they are His heart, if they are His thoughts, then I want to love that. So Peter is writing here, he speaks of this, to those that have like faith that we are called to glory and to virtue. He says, whereby, in other words, because of these things, or for these things, are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. So again, these promises are not for everyone, they're just for those that have the same like precious faith, that by these what these promises, these great promises, that by these ye might be, notice this phrase, and I love this phrase in Scripture, ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Notice it doesn't say that you might be knowledgeable of the divine nature. Can I tell you, I believe one of the great failures in my Christian life, when I look at the failures that take place, they are my failures in the differentiating between knowing the divine nature of God and living the divine nature of God. I believe that's one of the great failures in many of the Christians' lives is that we read, we read Scripture and we know what God's holiness is. We know His righteousness. We know His godliness. We've seen the example that He gives in Scripture. And yet we have this great knowledge and we think that we've been a partaker of the divine nature simply because we know it. The truth is, we're not a partaker of it until we live it. Until we allow Him to live in us. Paul said it, I think, best. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Oh, that we would learn to be crucified to self and let Christ live with us. Why? So that we can be the partakers of the divine nature. Notice this, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You know, we've taught a little bit recently on the great battle that goes on in each of our lives. The, the, the battle is, is a very simple one, but it's very hard. The battle is simply this, my will or God's will? Walking in the Spirit or walking after my lust and after my flesh, it's my choice to make. And the great tug-of-war, the great battle, the thing that pulls me one way or the other in my spiritual life is this one overriding decision that I have to make continuously in my life. Am I going to succumb to the things that I want or am I going to submit to the things that God wants for me? In other words, am I going to trust that what I want is best or am I going to trust that what He has for me is best? That's the same decision that's had to be been made all through the, man, all the history of mankind. That was the decision Adam and Eve had to make in the Garden of Eden. Were they going to trust what they liked and what they saw, what they thought was best? Or were they going to trust God that He knew what was best for them? And so we find that we've been given this wonderful, great, and seen great and precious promises that we might be partakers of the divine nature. Notice this, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lusts. Having the same like faith has caused us to be partakers of the divine nature. It has also given us, the Bible says here, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, It has given us victory over the flesh. It's appalling to me how many times it is even a struggle in my life between the flesh and the Spirit. It ought not ever even be a struggle. But it is, isn't it? We all face it. We all go through those times. And so Peter tries to help some here. He's going to, he's going to do some things here and, and teach some things to the people, not, not lost folks, but he's going to teach saved people some things here that will be a help to them to gain victory in this area. They've already been given to us. God has already enabled us to do them. But there are some things that, that ought to take place in our life, not to be saved. This is something that is written to those who already have this like precious faith. And so Peter's going to teach some things here that are not not they're not to, to make us more saved or to help us be saved. They are to help us be partakers of the divine nature. Look with me, if you will, in verse number five. And, so this is a continuation of what he just established. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your what? Faith. We believe that you're saved by faith. Plus nothing and minus nothing. You do not add to your faith to be saved. But that does not mean that we do not add to our faith once we are saved, once the act of faith has been uh, done and we have put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then, as a child of God, as those who have been given exceeding great and precious promises of God, in order to help us fulfill our calling of bringing glory to Him and to virtue, in order to accomplish these things, there's some things we have to add to our faith. The, the Christian life is not about getting our stamp. Ticket to heaven and putting it in our wallet and going about living our life the rest of the way, the way we want. There is to be a distinctness, a peculiarity among the people of God, something that is, is unique about them that shows that we are bought with a price, that we are now under His ownership, we are now under His leadership. We are now under His control. We are now walking in the Spirit. There's something different about the Christian life. And we're living in a day, and I I think most all of us here would agree with this, we're living in a day where if somebody tries to live biblically and godly, they're looked at at somebody who's who's a, 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 a deviant in society. If somebody tries to live after the things of God, if somebody tries to be a godly lifestyle, to be emulating Christ and His example to us, the world looks at him and says, "Boy, this is a deviant." How how hateful they must be. No, we just want to live holy and pleasing to God. And we see we're living in a day where a lot of Christians are content. They're content. To live after the world. To have their salvation. Oh, we got that settled, Pastor. I don't have to worry about that anymore. And now I'm just going to go out here and live the way I want to. No. If I'm saved, if I've trusted Christ as my Savior, there ought to be a, a, a desire in my heart to bring glory to Him and to have a life of virtue. That's what I'm called to. It's what Peter deals with here. And so he tells us in verse number 5, beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Can I take a moment and just mention this in passing and then we'll move on. Peter makes mention in verse number 5 that not only are we to add to our faith, but we're to give all diligence to do it. I think sometimes we get the idea that yes, I know I need to be growing, I need to be uh, uh, getting stronger in the Christian life, I need to be walking in the Spirit. And Pastor, I understand that, and, and so I'll, I'll give it some try. I'll, I'll try it, and and we'll do uh, we'll do a little bit, and uh, we'll we'll just keep plugging away at it till we get it. We'll give it the old college try. No, that's not what Peter's saying here. Peter's saying give it all diligence, give it all diligence. Put put your focus on it. A number of years ago, I was. Uh, I was, uh, uh, had been a private pilot for a, a few years and was getting ready to do my instrument training and get an instrument rating in the airplane. And I went up to Chattanooga, Tennessee and was doing some flying up there. And uh, I, uh, they, they, they make you wear these glasses that you can't see anything except just the instruments inside the airplane. You can't see outside the airplane or what's going on. And so every time you fly like that, you have to have an instructor or a safety pilot with you so they could watch outside and make sure you're not going to run into a building or a tree or something like that. And uh, I was I was a few hours into my training. I had my instructor sitting beside me and we were coming into the airport. And uh, they don't mind if you're a little bit high when you're coming in, but you're not supposed to be a little bit low because you might run into something. Okay? And so I'm, I'm coming in and there's an instrument telling me, and it shows me I'm about 100 feet too low. And I'm, I'm seeing it and I... I make a slight correction to it. And my instructor says, hey, you're a little low. Watch your altitude. And I said, yeah, I see it. And I made the correction. And I thought, well, I'll ease it back up there. I want to be a smooth pilot. I'm going to ease that thing back up into where it needs to be. And the next thing I know, that yoke in the airplane was yanked back like this and our plane pitched up like this and I was stunned by it because I wasn't ready for it. And I looked over and my instructor had grabbed a hold of that yoke and he had pulled it back And he looked over at me and he had told me, he said, Greg, fix it. And I said, okay, I'm fixing it. And he grabbed that thing and yanked it back and he looked at me and he said, fix it now. Now, he knew something that I didn't know. I thought I was okay. But he knew that had I continued on that glide path, we would have hit something. And I didn't have time to sit there and say, okay, I'm working on it. I had to fix it now. I had to take care of it now. And I think this is the idea that Peter is dealing with here when he says, add to your faith. And I don't want you just to add to it. I want you to give all diligence to this. I want you to fix it. I want you to fix it now. I want you to put the effort in it. I want you to strive for it. I want it to be something that when you wake up in the morning, this is a focus of your day. I want to add some of these things. I want to forge ahead for Christ. I want to grit my teeth. I want to put forth the effort. I fear sometimes that we get so lackadaisical in our Christian lives that we get comfortable and we live day by day and we think, well, I'll read my Bible, Pastor, and I'll spend my time in prayer, Pastor, but where's the diligence? Where's the fervency of the Christian life? Where's the saying, I'm going to grow and I'm not just going to, I'm not just going to make gradual improvements. I'm going to strive to be all that I can for God. I want to try to find everything I can in my life to try to emulate Him. Why? Because I'm called to bring glory to Him And I'm called to have a life of virtue. And so Peter says, giving all diligence, add to your faith. My question this morning is, are we adding to our faith? Are we adding to our faith or are we content with where we're at? I've known people that have gone to church all their lives. I've been one of those. I've been in church since nine months before I came out of my mom's stomach. I've been in church my whole life. And I'll tell you, there are times... There are times where I get stagnant in the Christian life. I feel like I'm just not growing. I'm not pursuing. I'm not fervent in the growth that I want. I'm not becoming more and more like Him every day and every hour. I'm content with where I'm at. And while I still read my Bible and I still pray and I still go to church and I still fellowship with God's people, there's not a whole lot of growth that I see. Why? Because I've failed to give diligence to this thing. I failed to really make it a priority of my life. So let's see what what it is that Peter says here. In verse number 5, he says, Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Virtue. This sense of moral goodness, not because we have to, but because we are compelled by the love of Christ but because we are trying to live in such a way that we are emulating Him. Why? Because we want to make sure that our reputation, our testimony is the word we use in the Christian realm, reflects Christ. When men look at me, what do they see? Do they see Christ? Do they see somebody that's different? Do they see somebody that's peculiar? Do they see somebody that's not like the world? Or do they look at me and say, He's just like everybody else? When the world looks at you, what do they see? Do they see somebody that's different? Do they see somebody that loves God with all their heart? Or do they see somebody that they don't really see a whole lot of difference in? Peter says, add to your faith virtue. This idea of not just obeying the law of God, but loving His law embracing it and saying, not only is this the law God has, but it's the law I want to live my life by. Not because I have to, but because I love Him so much I want to. I want to bring glory to Him. I want to have a life that that is, when people look at it, they can say, what a great change has been wrought! What a transforming work God has done in that person's life. There are people I went to college with, and I think of this often. There are people I went to college with, and I'm going to tell you what they were. They were the president. The president of our of our uh, uh, student body uh, was a fella. Miss Miss Evelyn knows him real well, Daniel Haltry, uh little Daniel, and uh, he was the the president of our our student body. That guy was a nut in college. Let me tell you. I mean, I've seen him do some things and, and act up and cut up and do some things, and I used to think. Man, what a spoiled little fellow this is. and he's, he's never going to do anything for the Lord. And now I look at his life and I look at his ministry and I think, boy, God's done an amazing work with him. He's pastoring a church now, doing a great work for the Lord. And I think of that often. I think, boy, God took something that, that was rough and, and had a lot of rough edges on it and, it, and He transformed the heart of Daniel Hawtree into something like that. And then I think this thought. That's what I hope God has done with me. I can't see myself the way others see me, but I hope that's the case. I hope that there are people who used to know me when that look at me now and say, well, God's sure done something amazing in His life. By the way, I hope it's said true of your life as well. I'm glad I'm not what I used to be. I'm also glad I'm not what I'm going to be. I hope that we would give diligence to add to our faith. This idea of loving God's law, not just obeying it, but loving it, embracing it. We live in a day where, I'll be real frank with you, most people, and I've been guilty of this in my own life, and I'm sure if we went around the room, most everybody would say, I've probably done this too. Most of us, at one time or another, try to justify why we are not living the way the Bible tells us we're supposed to live. We try to find reasons to say, I know it says this, but I'm okay. That's not loving God's law. Loving God's law is seeing what the Bible says and what God's heart is on the matter and saying, if that's what He loves, then that's what I love. And I don't have to do this. I want to do this. I want to cling to it. Look with me, if you will, in John chapter number 14. 14. Hold your place here in 2 Peter. We're going to come back to it in just a moment. Look with me, if you will, in John chapter number 14 and verse number 15. John makes this statement. He says, he's speaking here of Christ, or he's writing here of Christ speaking. And Christ says this, If you love me, keep my commandments. That's how we show God that we love Him. That's how we express our love to Him. It's getting ready to be Valentine's Day. Some of you are going to buy... Uh, somebody you care about, uh, flowers. I have never understood that. Cut something beautiful and make it die, and that's your expression of love. <laughs> Amen. I mean, make it make it worthwhile. Buy, buy, buy your husband a new fishing pole or a gun, something that's going to last. That's not Bible, but that was in there, so. Fellas, you all can thank me later for that. Buy your wife a new dress. Don't buy a vacuum cleaner or pots and pans. That's not part of the message. That's just to help you all out a little bit there. But look with me, if you will, here in verse number 15. The Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. My expression of love to God is this. I want to keep your commandments. That's my expression of my love to Him. I can't do anything greater to show my love for Him than to keep His commandments. To love His law. God's law is an amazing thing. Look with me and hold your place for a moment. and We're going to look in Psalm 19. I want us to look at what the psalmist refers to. And I love all of the times that David speaks of the law of God. Notice in verse number 7, he says, The law of the Lord is what? Perfect. It's Perfect. I'll be real frank with you. There's some laws we have here in the United States I don't agree with. Now, I still obey them so I don't get in trouble and get tickets. But I don't like going 35 miles an hour down 67 when it goes through Crystal City. I don't like that. I don't think it's right. Got a big four-lane divided highway there 35 miles an hour. And there are times I resent that. But can I tell you this? There's never been a time I've looked at God's law. And said, that's not a just law. That's not a perfect law. God's laws are perfect. Notice he says this, Converting the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. I had somebody a number of years ago show me as I got to this passage in Psalms, and maybe you can this afternoon sit down with it and do this, but it talks about a description of something about God's Word, the law of the Lord, or His statutes, or His testimonies. And he made a column of all of those in the first part of each of these several verses here. And then he talked about the, the expression of what it was. It's pure. It's perfect. It's right. And then he talked about the results of it, and he listed that in the third column. Rejoicing the heart, enlightening the eyes, uh, making wise the simple. And it's a wonderful, wonderful study as you look at the benefits of God's perfect, wonderful law. And then we come back to this whole thing of John chapter number 14, where he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. If a man love me, he will keep my words. That's my expression to God of my love for him. You say, How can I ever repay God? How can I ever show him how much I really love him? Keep his commandments. Keep his commandments. Peter refers to it as adding to our faith virtue. Virtue. Notice he says also back in 2 Peter, we're almost done, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. And again, within the context of the passage, dealing here with the things of the Lord. Not just general knowledge. I'm not just going to go out here and fill my mind with the Encyclopedia Britannica. We're dealing here with the knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We're supposed to know God. We're supposed to learn about Him. Study Second Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16. Paul told Timothy, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We're to add to our faith virtue, to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance. Oftentimes when we think of temperance, we think, well, I'm not going to go out here and, and be in excess. I'm not going to go out here and be a glutton and eat a lot of... Eat, we're getting, I shouldn't preach on this. We're getting ready to eat lunch. And I've seen what we're having for lunch today, so we'll, we'll postpone on preaching on gluttony until after lunch. But, uh, you know, in all seriousness, oftentimes when we think of, of temperance, we think in areas of, our, of maybe our... Uh, our drinking, or our eating, or our uh, personalities, and some things. Can I tell you this? There ought to be a, there ought to be a calmness. There ought to be an evenness, a steadiness, if you will, in a Christian's life. I, I know our lives go up and down. I know there's mountaintops and there's valleys. But because of our faith and resting in Christ, there ought to be a steadiness there. There ought to be a temperance in the Christian life. There ought not be extremes of attitudes. There ought not be extremes of temper. There ought not be extremes of, of personality that sway back and forth. There ought not to be extremes of of of. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to say something here, and uh, and I want you to take it for what it's worth. But I look at we're getting ready to have. Uh, I think the Super Bowl is coming up, isn't it? Is it coming up here next week or so? It's coming up. Some of you know. <clears throat> this time of year, people go crazy. I'm talking about Christian people. There will be churches that will change their service times for the Super Bowl. Why? Because they're not temperate. They're not even. They're not steady. They have extremes on these things. It's amazing to me how many people think that they're temperate just simply because there are certain areas that they try to keep from being in excess on but there's so many areas of our life, and in all areas of life, there ought to be a temperance, there ought to be a solid steadiness there. There ought to be that, that calmness that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ and having our faith in Him. Anxious for nothing. Careful for nothing. He says to add to our faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, temperance. Notice he goes on to say, to temperance, patience. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because that's a message in and of itself on patience. But we all understand what that is. To have patience. To wait on God. And to patience, godliness. There it is again. Godliness. To act like God. To live in such a way that we point men to Him. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. I want you to notice one thing about this. This is interesting to me that Peter gives a progression here. He doesn't say to add to our faith and then give a list of things. He says add to our faith virtue. And then once that virtue's there, that's the basis. Obeying God's law, loving God's law, cherishing God's law. Then we add to that our knowledge. When we get the knowledge of God, then we begin to add our temperance. A lot of times we try to get these things out of order. We try to do the last things before the first things have been dealt with. And yet Peter made it very clear that we're to add each one to the next. And then I want you to notice lastly what he says here in verse number seven uh, verse number eight. For if these things be in you, and notice this word, and what? Abound, that means more than is necessary. If these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. What do you mean, Peter? He's going to live the way he always lived. He's He's going to forget that he was given the opportunity to have victory over his flesh nature, that he would be able to be a partaker of the divine nature of God. Can I encourage us in this today? And the message is this. I know a lot of what we teach is repetitious, things we already know. We just need to be reminded of them sometimes. But I ask this question, are we giving diligence to it? I think that the, the, the problem a lot of times in, in the Christian life and growth in the Christian life is not that we don't make efforts and strides it's that we don't give diligence to it. We don't give fervency to it. We don't press and make effort to do it. We're content to just coast along. Uh, I remember the very first time I ever went to a water park growing up, uh, we didn't go to water parks because there was mixed bathing there and you had women in bikinis and swimsuits and mom and dad didn't want us around, that kind of stuff, which, by the way, is a good good policy to have, Amen. And the day that we live today, that that kind of stuff doesn't doesn't happen anymore. I remember the first time I ever went to a water park. The only way I got to go was the place that we went rented the entire park out and allowed just all the boys to go at one time, and then they brought all of them out of the park and let all the girls go at one time. And we went into the park, and I'll never forget uh, one of my favorite favorite rides to this day is the Lazy River. Y'all like that one? That's my speed, especially as old as I am now. But then they had this one that some insane man developed. You get in a tube, and they shut the door, and the floor opens up, and down you go. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I like the lazy river. That's my speed. But it takes it takes a little bit of courage. It takes a little bit of... Man, I'm going to do this to get in that big tube and let that floor open up. I think a lot of times we have a lot of Christians that are living the Christian life on the lazy river of spirituality. What they need to do is say, Lord, I, I want to make that diligent effort. I want to do the best I can. I want I want to put something into it. I, I want to I want to strive to be more like you. Oh, that we would learn to give diligence to these things. I I love the fact that we get the opportunity to partake of the divine nature of God. Oh, that we would just give it the fervency that it deserves. The diligence that it deserves. And say, I want to live godly. I want to live in such a way that I am pleasing to God because I want to bring glory to Him. I'm called to that. And I'm called to have a life of virtue, godliness, holiness. Right living. Oh, that we would give diligence to that. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. The message has been primarily for Christians today, but if there's somebody here today that doesn't know if they were to die right now, that they'd go to heaven, I'll tell you this, God sure loves you. He made a way for you to know that you could go to heaven when you die, and that was by sending His Son, Jesus, to this earth 2,000 years ago. He was born sinless. He lived a sinless life.